Chapter Five of the Bee Master of Warrilow by Tigner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Bee Man of the Forties. The old bee garden lay on the verge of the wood. Seen from a distance, it looked like a great white china bowl brimming over with roses, but a nearer view changed the porcelain to a snowy barrier of hawthorn and the roses became blossoming apple boughs stretching up into the may sunshine where all the bees in the world seemed to have foregathered filling the air with their rich wild chant coming into the old garden from the glare of the dusty road the hives themselves were the last thing to rivet attention as you went up the shady moss-grown path perhaps the first impression you became gratefully conscious of was the slow dim quiet of the place a quiet that had in it all the essentials of silence and yet was really made up of a myriad blended sounds then the sheer carmine of the tulips in the sunny vista beyond the orchard came upon you like a trumpet note through the shadowy aisles of the trees and after this in turn the flaming amber of the marigolds broad zones of forget-me-nots like strips of the blue sky fallen snowdrifts of arabis and starwort purple pansy spangles veering to every breeze and last of all you became gradually aware that every bright nook or shade-dappled corner round you had its nestling bee-skep, half hidden in the general riot of blossom, yet marked by the steadier, deeper song of the homing bees. To stand here, in the midst of the hives of a fine May morning, side by side with the old bee-man, and watch with him for the earlier swarms of the year, was an experience that took one back far into another and a kindlier century there were certain hives in the garden grey with age and smothered in moss and lichen that were the traditional mother colonies of all the rest the old bee-keeper treasured them as relics of his sturdy manhood just as he did the percussion fowling-piece over his mantle and pointed to one in particular as being close on thirty years old nowadays remorseless science has proved that the individual life of the honey-bee extends to four or five months at most but the old bee-keeper firmly believed that some at least of the original members of this colony still flourished in green old age deep in the sombre corridors of the ancient skep bending down he would point out to you among the crowd on the alighting board certain bees with polished thorax and ragged wings worn almost to a stump while the young worker bees were charging in and out of the hive at breakneck speed these superannuated amazons dodded about in the sunlight with an obvious and pathetic assumption of importance they were really the last survivors of the bygone winter's brood 
their task of hatching the new spring generation was over and now the power of flight denied to them they busied themselves in the work of sentinels at the gate or in grooming the young bees as they came out for their first adventure into the far world of blossoming clover under the hill for modern apiculture with its interchangeable comb frames and section supers and american notions generally the old beekeeper harboured a fine contempt in its place he had an exhaustless store of original bee knowledge gathered throughout his sixty-odd years of placid life among the bees his were all old-fashioned hives of straw hackled and potsherded just as they must have been any time since saxon alfred burned the cakes each bee colony had its separate three-legged stall and each leg stood in an earthen pan of water impassable moat for ants and wood lice and such small honey thieves why the hives were thus dotted about in such admired but inconvenient disorder was a puzzle at first until you learned more of ancient bee traditions wherever a swarm settled up in the pink rosetted apple boughs under the eaves of the old thatch cottage or deep in the tangle of the hawthorn hedge there on the nearest open ground beneath was its inalienable predetermined home when as sometimes happened the swarm went straight away out of sight over the meadows or sailed off like a pirouetting grey cloud over the roof of the wood the old beekeeper never sought to reclaim it for the garden tis gone to the shires for change of air he would say shielding his bleak blue eyes with his hand as he gazed after it twould be again nature to hike em back here along and naught but ill luck and worry we out end he never observed the skies for tokens of to-morrow's weather as did his neighbours of the countryside the bees were his weather-glass and thermometer in one if they hived very early afternoon though the sun went down in clear gold and the summer night loomed like molten amethyst under the starshine he would prophesy rain before morning and sure enough you were wakened at dawn by a furious patter on the window and the booming of the southwest wind in the pine-clad crest of the hill but if the bees loitered afield far into the gusty crimson gloaming and the loud darkness that followed seemed only to bring added intensity to the busy labour note within the hives no matter how the wind keened or the griddle of black storm-cloud threatened he would go on with his evening task of watering his garden sure of a morrow of cloudless heat to come he knew all the sources of honey for miles around and by taste and smell could decide at once the particular crop from which each sample had been gathered he would discriminate between that from white clover or sainfoin the produce of the yellow charlock wastes or the orchard honey wherein it seemed the fragrance of cherry bloom was always to be differentiated 
from that of apple or damson or pear he would tell you when good honey had been spoilt by the grosser flavour of sunflower or horse chestnut or when the detestable honeydew had entered into its composition or the supercaps having been removed too late in the season the bees had got at the early ivy blossom and so degraded all the batch watching bees at work of a fair morning in may nothing excites the wonder of the casual looker-on more than the mysterious burdens they are for ever bringing home upon their thighs semi-globular packs always gaily coloured and often so heavy and cumbersome that the bee can hardly drag its weary way into the hive this is pollen to be stored in the cells and afterwards kneaded up with honey as food for the young bees the old man could say at once by the colour from which flower each load was obtained the deep brown gold panniers came from the gorse bloom the pure snow white from the hawthorns the vivid yellow always so big and seemingly so weighty had been filled in the buttercup meads now and again in early spring a bee would come blundering home with a load of pallid sea-green hue this came from the gooseberry bushes and later in summer when the poppies began to throw their scarlet shuttles in the corn many of these airy cargoes would be of a rich velvety black but there was one kind which the old bee-man had never yet succeeded in tracing to its flowery origin he saw it only rarely perhaps not a dozen times in the season a wonderful deep rose crimson singling out its bearer on her passage through the throng as with twin danger lamps doubly bright in the morning glow keeping watch over the comings and goings of his bees was always his favourite pastime year in and year out but it was in the later weeks of may that his interest in them culminated he had always had swarms in may as far back as his memory could serve him and the oldest hive in the garden was generally the first to swarm as a rule the bees gave sufficient warning of their intended migration some hours before their actual issue the strenuous pell-mell business of the hive would come to a sudden portentous halt while a few of the bees still darted straight off into the sunshine on their wonted errands or returned with the usual motley loads upon their thighs the rest of the colony seemed to have abandoned work altogether from early morning they hung in a great brown cluster all over the face of the hive and down almost to the earth beneath a churning mass of insect life that grew bigger and bigger with every moment glistening like wet seaweed in the morning sun in the cluster itself there was an uncanny silence but out of the depths of the hive came a low vibrating murmur wholly distinct from its usual note and every now and again 
a faint shrill piping sound could be heard as the old queen worked herself up to swarming frenzy vainly seeking the while to reach the royal nursery where the rival who was to oust her from her old dominion was even then steadily gnawing through her constraining prison walls at these momentous times a quaint ceremonial was rigidly adhered to by the old bee-master first he brought out a pitcher of home-brewed ale from which all who were to assist in the swarm-taking were required to drink as at a solemn rite the dressing of the skep was his next care a little of the beer was sprinkled over its interior and then it was carefully scoured out with a handful of balm and lavender and mint after this the skep was covered up and set aside in the shade and the old beekeeper carrying an ancient battered copper bowl in one gnarled hand and a great door-key in the other would lead the way towards the hive his drab smock-frock mowing the scarlet tulip-heads down as he went sometimes the swarm went off without any preliminary warning just as if the skep had burst like a bombshell volleying its living contents into the sky but oftener it went through the several stages of a regular process after much waiting and many false alarms a peculiar stir would come in the throng of bees cumbering the entrance to the hive thousands rose on the wing until the sunshine overhead was charged with them as with countless fluttering atoms of silver foil and a wild joyous song spread far and wide overpowering all other sounds in the garden within the hive the rich bass note had ceased and a hissing noise like a great cauldron boiling over took its place as the bees inside came pouring out to join the carolling multitude above last of all came the queen watching for her through the glittering gauzy atmosphere of flashing wings she was always strangely conspicuous with her long pointed body of brilliant chestnut red she came hustling forth stopped for an instant to comb her antennae on the edge of the footboard then soared straight up into the blue the whole swarm crowding deliriously in her train immediately the old bee-man commenced a weird tom-tomming on his metal bowl ringing the bees was an exact science with him they were supposed to fly higher or lower according to the measure of the music and now the great door-key beat out a slow stately chime like a cathedral bell whether this ringing of the old-time skepis had any real influence on the movements of a swarm has never been absolutely determined but there was no doubt in this case of the bee-keeper's perfect faith in the process or that the bees would commence their descent and settle usually in one of the apple-trees very soon after the din began the rapid growth of the swarm cluster was always one of the most bewildering things to watch 
from a little dark knot no bigger than the clenched hand it swelled in a moment to the size of a half-gallon measure growing in girth and length with inconceivable swiftness until the branch began to droop under its weight a minute more and the last of the flying bees had joined the cluster the stout apple branch was bent almost double and the completed swarm hung within a few inches of the ground a long cigar-shaped mass gently swaying to and fro in the flickering light and shade the joyous trek song of the bees and the clanging melody of key and basin died down together the old murmuring songful quiet closed over the garden again as water over a cast stone to hive a swarm thus easily within reach was a simple matter soon the old bee-man had got all snugly inside the skep and the hive in its self-appointed station and already the bees were settling down to work hovering merrily about it or packed in the fragrant darkness busy at comb-building or lancing off to the clover fields eager to begin the task of provisioning the new home End of chapter five